Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. The music is dead. Long live the music. Welcome to the very first It's All Dead podcast. My name is Kyle Hawk, uh, and I'm here today with my co-host Kyle Schultz, coming all the way from Chicago. Hey, Kyle, how are you doing? Good. How about you, buddy? I'm not doing too bad. This is our first podcast, man. The very first one. How does that make you feel? Uh, it's actually pretty exciting. I haven't done anything like this before. Well, you're going to learn. You're going to learn fast, my friend. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> so yeah, basically this podcast, uh, just like our website, it's alldead.com. We're talking about music. Um, we're just launching the website here in November. Um, it's all about music and basically music we like. We write about it, we talk about it, and we invite other people to come and talk about it with us. Um, and so this podcast um, is just going to be a discussion between Kyle and I to start off, and we're just going to be chatting about a few things. And actually, for this first podcast, we're talking about albums that turned 10 years old today, which seems really corny and cheesy, but it seemed like this year there was like a ridiculous amount of like really good, influential albums that matter that turned 10 years old. It's kind of nuts. Yeah, this is kind of the year of uh, the anniversary, which is an awkward thing to say because it just makes you feel old and terrible it really does yeah i i mean i my first every time i see one of these uh news posts pop up about a new album that turned 10 years old my first reaction is oh and then it's oh it's <laughs> it, it just kind of reminds me of everything i was listening to in high school i'm like you guys gotta hear this and then no one would listen to it and now it's 10 years later and no one still listened to it and i'm just alone <laughs> Yeah, and see, you're even young. You were in high school when these albums came out, man. I was I was in college, and uh, now I'm an old man who's very sad and doing a podcast where I talk about albums that I used to listen to when I was in college. So, but hey, that does sound sad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, I mean, we don't have any real, uh, you know. We're gonna talk about some of the albums we like. You know, there's always albums that come out. There's a lot of albums that came out ten years ago that. Uh, a lot of people were really stoked about and still matter today. We're not going to be able to hit all of them, but we're just talking about some of them that we enjoy. Um, and for me, like the first place I go and the, I mean, the first album that was on my list I sent to you is Sayosin's translating the name. And that's uh, not to say that there wasn't a lot of great albums that came out 10 years ago because there obviously was, but Sayosin, as you know, uh, one of my favorite bands, and that's actually how our friendship started. You saw, I have a Sayosin poster that I hang up at work you used to work at the same place with me, and you came by one day and commented on the poster. And I was like, "What? Someone else knows who Sayusin is?" And a friendship was born. Yeah, the fun thing about that is uh, our friendship is actually based on a lie because I've still never really listened to Sayusin. I just know who they are and what's come after them. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! Well, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. <laughs> well, I mean, to give you, a, I mean, here's the thing. You know, Sayusin has had they've had their ups and downs. I mean, people have talked at length about the gripes between, you know, Cove and Anthony and all this stuff, but translating the name for me is an album that kind of was a game changer. Um, when I heard it, I mean, it, it was kind of at that point where my musical tastes really were shifting and translating the name kind of put the nail in the coffin for me. Uh, one, because Anthony green is absolutely incredible. And I know, you know, who Anthony green is cause we got to witness him in person together. Um, and like his, his contributions uh, to that debut EP, I mean, they, they really can't be overstated. Um, I mean... Now, the few things I have listened to that are him singing, like, I haven't really gone beyond uh, a few of the songs back in the day, but, like, I've 
followed the news revolving around them since then. And other than that, I've kind of followed Anthony Green just by chance. But yeah, unfortunately, it's just one of those things I've never given the time to that it probably deserves. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of Seosan fans um, really cling to that first EP, um, and they kind of still live. I mean, I, you know, I liked Cove as well when he was in the band, um, but it's funny because I, I think even a lot of people that even liked Cove are still constantly griping about the fact of like, oh, it's not as good as it was when Anthony was in the group. Um, and to be honest, they were, you know, two Cove Seosan and Anthony Seosan were two completely different bands, and I, I love both of them, but translating the name is... Uh, an album that really kind of shifted things for me and it kind of led into uh, you know another band like under oath and ended up becoming uh, one of my favorite bands um but the thing about trains in the name it's five songs long it's very short and concise but it just hits like from the first second to the last second it's kind of just non-stop punishing aggressive and wild um and i think one of my favorite things about that album is that uh when uh, Bo, who's one of the guitar players, he uh, recorded the album for the band, and when he recorded Anthony's vocals, he basically just kind of chopped everything up and placed it together in songs. So to this day, even if you were to ask Anthony, like, hey, what does this song mean? And he's like, I have no idea. Like, I knew what it meant when I originally wrote the lyrics, but it's all so messed up now. I have no clue what that song means. And it's funny because these songs, like, Seven Years and whatnot, are, like, songs that people cling to. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's like that song means so much to me, and literally it has no meaning. <laughs> which is uh kind of amazing yeah it's just kind of a fun hypocrisy where you can find meaning and stuff that there is nothing whatsoever yeah and i guess that's part of the fun of it is you know finding the stuff that means something to you i'm sure like this, those songs and translating the name like meant something like really powerful and meaningful to me 10 years ago when i was in college and lonely and didn't know what i was doing with my life now it's more of like I go back and I'm like, man, this is still like a really great album for a band that just recorded five songs themselves. Um, but I don't like have any deep emotional ties to any of the lyrics or anything, I suppose. It's more just kind of a, uh, more or less it just brings back memories more than anything else. Yeah. And the fact that I feel like if it came out today, like I would be totally into it. Like if Seosan released Translating the Name today, I would be like, holy crap, this band is incredible. And for me, that's always been kind of like a defining thing. Like if 10 years later, you could put the album out, like, for example, Nirvana's In Utero just turned 20 this year. And if that album came out today, I it would blow my mind. Like if I'd never heard of Nirvana, that album came out, I'd be like, holy crap, this is incredible. And when albums can do that, like to me, that's what stands the test of time. There's someone go back and listen to like, oh, that was fun. But they wouldn't hit me the same way today. They're more nostalgic. Um, but Translating the Name is one that would hold up for me today. Well played. I hadn't really considered that aspect of Sayasin. But yeah. then again, like I, I still haven't given them the time they probably deserve to get to that point. Well, we might all be in luck because it seems like Anthony Green, like in interviews and stuff recently, has been referencing the fact that uh, I've, I've seen multiple ones, even though it was one a couple of days ago, where he's like, yeah, I'd, I'd be open to, you know, joining Sayosin again or doing stuff with them. And it's like, what? That's crazy. Like that's, uh, there's people like probably, you know, laying in bed, curled up in a ball, like just waiting for Anthony Green to rejoin Seosin. And uh, I mean, it seems like it's something that could pay, could happen. At the very least, I could see them doing a reunion tour. Um, and the cool thing about that is like, if they did it, like I would want them to do like a reunion tour with Cove or like he comes out and sings some of his songs and then Anthony Green finishes the set singing his songs or something. 
That would be really cool because uh, Green is known to do like a lot of collaborative stuff. That would be a fun thing to see. If nothing else, it just kind of show there is like no bad blood between the bands. Yeah, definitely. And I think like the funny thing, for as much as people have argued about it, like people, it's pretty common knowledge that uh, Anthony and Cove were good friends, and Anthony endorsed Cove being in the band. So uh, I think it was kind of almost a joke amongst them of like, can you believe how pissed people are that <laughs> about this whole thing? So anyway. Well, uh, what's one on your list? Uh, for me, one of the things that really resonates is uh, the early November is the room is too cold. Yes. The fact that that thing is 10 years old is just something that blows my mind. Like, I first heard that in high school, and it was one of those defining albums that it's the first one you hear when you're like, oh, this isn't just music. This is this is art, and then no one respects your opinion. <laughs> yeah. And it should be said from the get-go here that Kyle has a feature running on this album on itsalldead.com that you can go and read. And, uh, you know, he tells uh, – it's actually a really great article. I enjoyed reading it. Uh, I thought you really expressed well uh, your thoughts about that, that album here 10 years later. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, it's just one of those things that – it was the first album I really listened to where even though the songs are really catchy and there's a nice melody and stuff like that, it just feels like – they're not so much just pop songs. It's more an extension of an actual emotion more than anything else. And that's really the first time I listened to something where it caught me off guard. And uh, just lyrically and just how raw the vocals and recordings are, um, if I remember correctly, I it's been 10 years since I've read this, but I think they did almost the entire album in one take. So everything oh, wow. is pretty much just on the record. And that's one of the things I really like about it and why it reverberates so long afterwards. It's just everything's just pure yeah and so like how often do you still listen to that album uh probably once every couple months and then i just sit back and just wonder why i'm not constantly listening to it yeah don't you hate that feeling i mean but it's it's a it's the way it should be probably because i i tend to wear stuff out but like sometimes i'll go back to albums and i'm like holy crap like this is so good i can't believe i don't listen to this more but it's kind of cool to have that feeling every time too so i don't know Oh, that's also the album that started my uh, awkward obsession with A-Cinders. Oh, that's right. That culminated with you dropping a popsicle at his feet, if I remember correctly. Well, that started an uh, inside joke between him and I that only I know about. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, like after the early November broke up, A-Cinders is doing his solo stuff. And uh, I went to one of his shows, and he's supposed to be, like, making barbecue for people. And instead, like, they didn't have room for the barbecue area, so he's passing out popsicles. So it's the first time I've ever, ever met one of my heroes, and I go to grab a popsicle from him, and the top half of it just falls and hits the floor. And not knowing what to do, I put my foot over it, and he just looked down. And he's like, "Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna want to wipe that up. Want to go get a towel?" I'm like, uh, "I don't I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> oh God! And then he just points. He's like, "You should probably go get a towel." And I was like, "Yeah, that's that's a great way to meet my hero." So uh, the four or five times since then, when I've seen him live, I was just like. Hey Ace, how you doing? He's like, Hey, how are you? And he gets this panicked look across his face, like, What's going on? <laughs> so, um, that's the relationship we have. I literally wish that every time that you saw him, you would drop a popsicle on the floor in front of him. Dreams can't come true, my friend. Like, I wonder how many times it would take before he realized, Hey, this is the popsicle guy. Twice. I'm gonna go three with times. <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh, probably three or four. 
Because, you know, drop one popsicle, that's nothing. Drop two, eh, coincidence. Drop three, someone's following you. <laughs> yes, this is true. And it, so since we're in the sharing stories, I, I feel like I should do this as well. Um, going back to the Seosan album, the first time I met Anthony Green uh, was after a show, and I asked someone to take our picture. And we put our arms around each other like you do and smiled for the camera. And as she was about to take the picture, he turned and licked all the way up uh, the left side of my face, like from top to bottom, full tongue, all the way up. And they took the picture mid lick. <laughs> and the moment the picture was taken, he turned to me and goes, I'm sorry, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> and I was like, well, uh, that's okay, you know? And and then I felt really weird about kind of being okay that he licked the side of my face. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what that says about me as a person, but there you go. Well, in his defense, the side of your face does taste like an airhead. Yeah, that's true. And you would know. So I, anyway. No, the early in November, we're kind of flip-flopped on this one. Like, you know, I, I know of the album. I was never, I never really got too much into them. I actually got more into them after they reunited. Um, and that night that uh, you and I saw them with Cartel um, was actually kind of a, that was the first time I'd seen them live. And that something clicked for me where I was like, holy crap, like this band is really good. I mean, I I didn't ever think they were not good, but something about seeing them live was pretty incredible because they, they play with a lot of passion. I mean, that was a heck of a show. Yeah, well, one of the things that boasts of this album is just like the fact that uh, it took them three years after this one came out to put out a second album, and when they did, it was three discs. So it was a three-disc CD that had a complete different sound and different attitude for it. And then they went on the break, and uh, everyone did their solo stuff. And when they came back together, instead of trying to mingle some of the sounds between, like, you know, the triple album and the solo stuff, they went right back to the room is too cold and tried to pick up from kind of where that style was and just kind of ran with it. Right. And what were your thoughts on the, that album? Uh, the new one, Incurrence, I think is really, really good. Like, I think um, they managed to kind of pick back up where they left off, you know, a decade ago without actually rehashing any of the same things. They just kind of, they've improved the style that they're known for more than, like, the pop elements. Right. Yeah, I think, uh, and I, I really enjoyed it, too. I mean, th those are probably my two favorites of theirs, are the first and the last uh, incurrence. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, I guess, uh, since we've kind of talked about the albums that we each know, here's one I know that we both love and that's yellow cards, ocean Avenue. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. Control yourself. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. Everything's wet. <laughs> I know. I, I expected this, much. <laughs> but no yellow card, ocean Avenue, another album that still holds up for me. And the, here's the kicker about ocean Avenue they've released so many great albums that there's, I know there's people out there that think that ocean Avenue is the only good thing that yellow card has ever done. Those people are wrong. Um, but ocean Avenue is fantastic. And I recently went to their, um, ocean Avenue acoustic tour to cover it for pop matters. They played the whole album front to back acoustic. One of the best concerts of my life. Like, and the whole crowd, it was one of those things. Like sometimes you go to a show and people are just there at the show. And sometimes you go to a show and people are really there. Like they're really invested. It's And it means something. And that's what that was. And I feel like that's what that album is for a lot of people. Well, I also think it's just kind of, I love Ocean Avenue, but it's not my favorite of their CDs. I think what it really comes down to is it was the album that had all their singles on it. And that's the one everyone recognizes. Like everyone thinks of the singles when they think of the band and they go back to this album and kind of relive that when it first came out. But, um, I know I kind of grew away from it just from hearing it on the radio so much right. and it took 
almost 10 years to actually come back and listen to it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is fantastic. Yeah, so this album was basically the soundtrack of a year of my life. And um, that it, I, the whole album kind of at its core is about leaving home for the first time. Um, and that really resonated for me. Obviously, I'd gone off to college and, uh, you know, was kind of starting my life over there. And for some reason, that album, like, just absolutely nailed me. And it's funny because I was... Uh, Actually, a friend of mine bought it for me. I, I had not heard of Yellow Card. Um, and a friend of mine got it for me, said I was going to like it, ended up loving it. So much that I bought, went out and bought it for like several of my friends and gave it to them and said, listen to this <laughs> because it is really freaking good. Um, and it's I can still remember it. it was one of those first moments for me as far as like the scene goes where you could tell like things were happening and that um, – I was in the mass comm department and we had a lounge there with the TV and I was sitting talking with some friends and the TV was on MTV. I wasn't really paying attention to it. And suddenly I realized that ocean Avenue was playing the song and I was kind of like singing along to it in my head. And I was like, wait a minute, this isn't right. And I realized, holy crap, they're playing the video on MTV. And it was like all of a sudden yellow card, like they just kind of exploded. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing with the album is it was the first uh, CD I really kind of waited for because prior to that coming out, I was a fan of Yellow Card's One for the Kids, which yeah. was, I think, their debut with uh, Ryan Key on singles, yeah. or on vocals, I should say. And uh, me and my friend Max are really big fans of that. And then we waited for uh, Ocean Avenue to come out initially. And then um, I remember like we were waiting after school. We were sitting by his computer waiting for uh, some website to preview the music video for um, Way Away. And that's kind of my first memory of it. Yeah. Which, way away, to this day, one of the best opening tracks. I, I, it's the perfect opening track for that album. I love it so much. In regards to the Ocean Avenue video, um, interestingly enough, uh, I feel like that was the video that kind of kicked off Mark Webb's career. Um, he ended up doing videos for uh, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, uh, for My Chemical Romance, and then he went on to direct 500 Days of Summer and just really great director. But the first I remember knowing of him was that he did that Ocean Avenue video. Um, oh, well played. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah. When I hear that song, like I see the video. That's another thing. I love music videos. Like I, you know, I mean, not all music videos. I like them and like I like when they're well done. And that's a song where like I hear the song and I can see Ryan Key running through that group of nuns or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Take that for what you will. <laughs> did you like the acoustic rendition they did for this? I really did. I think they did a good job um, maintaining kind of the spirit they had with it and just kind of playing it down a bit. It was really nice because a lot of times when you get the acoustic versions, it's just stripped down. And uh, this one kind of seemed to keep the spirit alive with it. Yeah. Which is the worst way I could describe it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I thought uh, I feel the same way. Um, I feel like the renditions they did like served it really well. Um, they actually put thought into it. You could tell they just didn't walk in with an acoustic guitar and bang it out. Um, and I, the one year, six months, cause everyone was like, Oh, that song's already acoustic. And then they did this piano version. And I think I actually like it more than the original. So. Yeah, it's really good. What's your favorite song on this album? Um, honestly, I want to say ocean Avenue, just for the fact that even though everyone's aware, it's a really good song, seeing it live is something just epic. There's yeah. no way to just describe it. Yeah. Um, the first time I saw them live, they were actually opening up for All Time Low. And uh, even being the opening band, when they came on stage, 
they were just standing there and a crowd of 16 year olds lost their shit and made the loudest noise I've ever heard in my life. And uh, when they started playing Ocean Avenue as the finale for their set, just the amount of people going ballistic, I've never seen anything like it before. And there's just an energy that kind of flows along with it that I don't think you can get anywhere else. Yeah. This band is still relevant. Yellow Card is, they still matter. And I, I feel like that's a really important thing to note about uh, this band as we go through these. Um, so, what's the next album you want to talk about? Hmm. Well, um, you know, they're not, they don't come up too often anymore, but the, the Postal Service uh, just turned 10. Yes. And this is our first, this is going to be our first time we, you and I have ever, so here's the thing. If you're listening to this podcast, Kyle and I talk about music a lot. Um, but this is literally the first conversation we're ever going to have about the postal service. So I'm interested to see or hear what you have to say. (laughs) Um, I don't know a whole lot to say about it. It It's just one of those, uh, albums that kind of came out of nowhere at the time. Like it came out right as I was getting into death cab for cutie. So I didn't know a whole lot about them. And uh, the reason I even picked up the album was I was standing in a Best Buy and I heard this song come on and I thought it sounded like uh, Ben Gibbard's voice and they said it was the Postal Service and I just picked it up on a whim and uh, I ended up falling in love with it. It was one of the first, I don't know, I could guess call it kind of electronic albums I ever bought. Yeah. I, for me, it was one that I, I got into later. Like I knew I knew when it came out and I was aware of it, but I didn't really give it too much socks. I was like, Oh, you know, that's not hard enough for what I want to listen to. But it was an album I ended up falling in love with later and being like, Holy crap, this is so good. Um, I, I've got it on vinyl and it's one of my favorite albums to listen to on there. I just, it's, it's a really solid effort, but here's the thing. Are you, so you're a death cab fan. Uh, yeah. Okay. See, I, I mean, I don't dislike death cab, but I'd rather listen to the postal service. And I realized that people, probably won't want to murder me for saying that. Like, I don't really know what the feelings are about that. But... Well, I kind of want to now. I know where you sleep. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Do what you must. But no, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm again, I'm like, okay with death cab. They've kind of had their ups and downs for me. Um, but that one postal service, I think that's the thing that makes it even more special. It's just that one album. Like they just did it. And now it's like, Whoa, what the heck, you know? And it's kind of had to stand on its own. Yeah. That's the thing that always, even a decade later, it kind of confuses me. Like, they put out a masterpiece of work, and they've just never gone back to it until, uh, was it this year they released it on vinyl and put, like, a couple B-sides out? It's yeah, just, they did. They did it's just one of those. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's a single album. People still talk about it, even now. And they don't, they haven't toured, they haven't put anything out. It's just, it's just there. Yeah. And I mean, there's, and again, there's the constant talk of like, oh, they're going to do a follow-up. Oh, they're going to do a follow-up. I have no clue if they will. In some ways, I almost feel like they might be wise not to. Um, yeah. Just let it stand. But I mean, I wouldn't be, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not opposed to them doing another album. Um, I'm just saying that they could get by with not at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's been 10 years. Why break the record? Yeah. Um, so a funny thing that we can do with this stuff is like, so Yellow Card's Ocean Avenue video was directed by Mark Webb, who directed 500 Days of Summer, which starred Zoe Deschanel, who's the ex-wife of Ben Gibbard. Are you some type of mage? I don't like this. Sorry, I'm just making connections, man. There's so many connections you can make, just like that one. I don't have any others, so <laughs> <laughs> that's it. 
It's like um, connect your own dots that just turns into a stupid line. Yeah. <laughs> like all of them. <laughs> but um, I wanted a star. <laughs> well, you're not getting it. But I do give a gold star to uh, Brand New's Dejan Tondu. And we've talked about this album briefly before, um, but go ahead and give me your thoughts. Um, This is... It's a weird album because it's one of those things that when it first came out, I liked it, but I didn't quite get it. Like, I think I was a sophomore in high school and just listening to it. And this is a point in my life where, like, everything was completely conquered by Blink-182. So I wasn't quite out of just, like, the pop-punk aspect of it. Yeah. And when this thing came along, it kind of knocked me on my ass because I was just sitting there just going, what is this? And we just listened to it and, like, I liked it, but I never quite grasped it until a few years later yeah i think a lot of people are that way and especially a lot of people don't ever go on the internet anywhere and say that you've even thought for a moment that maybe you weren't crazy about this album because people will literally burn you at the stake but yeah well it was one of those things that when it came out um the only thing i knew about brand new was their first album uh your favorite weapon mm -hmm. and uh just a couple songs off that and which is why i bought this one but even then they weren't really that well known yeah and uh it was just something i had in my collection and then it seemed like it took a year or so and then i started hearing people like talk about it and ask me if i was listening to it and it's just i had it in the back burner i was like i didn't know people listen to this this is weird yeah so here's the thing for me i've wrestled with dejan tondu a lot and I, I i'll be up front with you i really like the album and i think it's a great album um, but I've wrestled with it like throughout the years, like I've gone, I've, I've really wrestled with it. And I don't know how better to explain that. And that sometimes like I really love it. And sometimes I get frustrated with it. Um, but the thing about it is that it keeps my attention every time. And when you think about the number of bands that were probably heavily influenced by this album and the number of people that got into this scene because of this album, I mean, there's pretty much no question of like its validity and um, how well it's hold up over the years. I mean, it's kind of incredible um, in the way it's done that. It's definitely unique in its own aspect, and it definitely uh, finalized the sound that Brand New had been going for. Just the weird thing is it's such a departure from the first album they put out. It yeah. just came out of fucking nowhere. So, But the thing is, it just appeared, and that's what the band sounds like from there on out, which uh, I think they perfected the sound with the devil and God are wrestling inside me, or are raging inside me, I should say. And uh, which is my favorite album there is, but it was just kind of a nice uh, middle ground that kind of built up to that. Yeah. So yeah, that's the thing. I, I love The Devil and God Are Raging Inside of Me. It's definitely my favorite album of theirs, but that album doesn't happen without Dejan Tondu. Um, so, and there's also this like really small group of people out there that love um, your favorite weapon and hate like everything else the band did after that. But somehow Brand New is still their favorite band or something. It's really weird. Well, that's because uh, your favorite weapon came out right in the golden age of like pop punk. So it yeah. fits in with that bill. And it also has a little bit of credit just for the fact that that's, if I'm not mistaken, that's the album that they were uh, pushing when they're in that big war with Taking Back Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do people still remember that or talk about that? Like, I always, I forget about it until, like, someone says it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, those bands, like, hated each other. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I don't think anyone really cares anymore. <laughs> well, that's good. But, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting wrinkle to it all. Because Jesse Lacey was originally involved with Taking Back Sunday, if I remember right, in some form or another. Yeah, I don't quite remember uh, the connection there. I just remember he and um, 
was friends with Taking Back Sunday to some aspect, but then they had some type of falling out. Yeah. Well, anyway, Dejan Tandu is really great, but not our favorites of theirs, but still really great. Um, and since I wasn't, I completely blanked on this until you mentioned Blink-182 just a minute ago. They're self-titled, turned 10 years old this year. Um, so I'm just going to bring it up now because I know they're one of your favorite bands. And I also like that record a lot. It's not my favorite Blink record, but it's really good. And the fact that um, if you want to listen to a different Blink-182, like that's the album you listen to. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's just, it's something that for being their third major CD to come out, uh, if you don't count Dude Ranch, um, it's just, it was kind of a slap in the face at the time. Just you were, you had a certain expectation for Blink-182 at that point. And then they came out with the mature sound that no one saw coming. So I think it took a lot of people off, uh, just off guard to the point that no one really liked it when it first came out, at least yeah. that I knew of. And then after about a year or so, you kind of sat back and just went, wow, <laughs> they really knew what they were doing with this. Yeah, th that's the funny thing. And that's I, I remember that too. It seemed like nobody liked it. And like now everybody loves it. Like you could just run a poll and everyone's going, oh, I love the self-titled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I uh I I actually I didn't hate it when it came out. I mean again, I I've always listened to Blink-182, but I've never been so invested in them that they were going to piss me off. So, um I enjoyed it when it came out. I love Feel This. I felt like that was an awesome single. Um there's there's a lot of really great songs on that album. There's a lot of fantastic songs. Like well, my big problem with it was just that was when I was still in the pop punk phase really badly uh invested in that. So I'd listen to like the first six or seven tracks and then just stop cuz that's where uh, the majority of what I felt the best songs were. So I never really gave the second half to see that much attention until uh, a couple years later. And I kind of went back to it. I was like, I've been missing out on everything. Yeah. Well, again, I feel like a lot of people felt that way because it seems like, you know, when they broke up, people didn't really like the self-titled that much. But when they got back together, it seemed like everybody wanted them to follow up on the self-titled. Like, oh, yeah. And then when they didn't really do that, it was almost like a disappointment, which I, I still like Neighborhoods okay, but I'd rather listen to the self-titled. See, Neighborhoods had the same effect where, like, I, well, for the most part, like, I really liked it when it came out, and uh, I, it's probably the CD of theirs I listen to the least, but every time I listen to it, I like it more and more, and I keep wondering why I don't just kind of stick with it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't dislike it. It's, it's sound, to me, it sounds disjointed, and I think it was, that's an inevitability when they're, like, all in different cities and just, like, passing vocal tracks back and forth and recording an album that way. Um, yeah, it's it's not as uh, tight as the other records, but I think they've kind of gotten over that. Like, did you ever listen to the Dogs Eating Dogs EP? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I think for the most part, they've kind of nailed it back down if uh, they stick with the recording process they did for that. Yeah, no, that and that, absolutely. I would have rather heard Dogs Eating Dogs than Neighborhoods, like, as the first thing they put out after getting back together. But um, I, I know that they're kind of like, it seemed, I feel like I read something recently from Mark Hoppus where they're they're kind of in the process of getting ready to work again, and they're in a place where they're actually going to get in the same room and record an album, which I think is is a good thing. Um, but yeah, the self-titled. I I uh, another thing about it, even though people seem to not like it, I feel like everybody owned it. <laughs> like uh, Big Blue Monday Two is like such a big band. It's like oh, I hate this, but I'm buying it anyway. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time, it was just they were one of the biggest bands on the scene, if not the biggest. And uh, when they put a record out, everyone bought it. Yeah. And uh, I remember like it came out and I didn't pick it up for the first couple of days and everyone I listened to was just bummed. So as I was buying it, I was just like, I'm going to regret this. <laughs> 
Yeah. But it does have that really cool Travis Barker uh, drum thing on there, which is kind of neat. I love Travis Barker. I think he's fantastic. He's He and I, what's his face from Mule Card, are probably the two best live drummers I've ever seen. Yeah. And also, uh, for me, Alex Rodriguez of Sayosin's in that discussion as well. Yes. But yeah, can't go wrong with any of them. <laughs> so... I guess that should leave and lead into our uh, big finish here. Fallout Boy, take this to your grave. And Kyle, I'm going to let you just take this one and run with it. Oh, that's probably, not a, that's probably not a great idea. Um, take This to Your Grave is definitely a good album, but I feel like this isn't the year to be celebrating their big release. Because like, when it came out, I didn't listen to it at all. It was just another punk CD just kind of mixed in with everything because 2003 there's so many just pop punk bands out there this one didn't stand out at all and they didn't even make a name for themselves until a couple years later when they had a From Under the Cork Tree so for me this is even now I own all of Fall Out Boy's CDs everything they've ever put out I still don't listen to this one that much except for Grand Theft Autumn when Take This to Your Grave came out, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I, I was just gushing over it from the moment it came out. I remember when it came out. The first thing that caught me about it, um, and one of the, there's certain iconic things about this album. One of them is the album cover, like is really lame and whatever you want to call it as that is. Like I remember seeing my roommate with it and thinking like, whoa, that's like really cool. Um, like the all blue and the guys sitting on the front. It just caught my attention. Um, and then the lyrics. Um, I, I feel like, when you think about like, okay, so this is their first album and here's Pete writing these lyrics for a pop punk band for the first time. It's really freaking good. It's like one of the snarkiest, nastiest albums he's written. Um, and I love that. It is pretty uh, deep cutting. It was just, it was very, for me, it feels disjointed. Like they hadn't quite found the groove that they were meant to go into yet. So like, it's a good CD, but it's just rough around the edges. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, and that's part of kind of what makes it special, too, because they've gotten kind of more glossy as they've gone along. But so after they went on hiatus is when I really started falling in love with their uh, discography. Like, actually, remember going back and listening and kind of really like even liking them more than I did when they were still a band. Um, In my opinion, they haven't really put out a, a bad album. If you had to press me. I'd probably say Infinity on High is my favorite. Um, but honestly, you, you could talk me into any of the albums. And Take This to Your Grave is one. It's an album, like we've talked about some that like still hit me. When I listen to Take This to Your Grave, I feel nostalgic, which isn't a bad thing. Like I just straight up feel nostalgic. Like I, I just remember when that album came out and I, um, and I feel good about it. Um, so yeah. Um, and I, I think we've talked about this before because you think Save Rock and Roll is the best album, correct? I do. Okay. And that you're still holding firm to that? Uh, at the moment, yes. <laughs> cool. Come back to me in like a couple months. I may have changed my mind stupidly. <laughs> so give give all the readers or there's no one reading this. You're listening. <laughs> <laughs> give the two people listening to this, if there's two people listening, your defense of why Save Rock and Roll Fallout Boy is better than Take This to Your Grave Fallout Boy. For me, Save Rock and Roll is... Hmm. 
you caught me with your pinchers. Um, save rock and roll is just it's in something that came out of nowhere. No one saw it coming whatsoever, and it takes Fallout Boy. It shifts their sound in a completely different direction. Instead of having some type of rock aspect to it, where all the albums they've had up to this point have been pop punky to some aspect, they've gotten glossier, they've gotten poppier, but you still have that kind of raw guitar in there and uh, Pete Wentz's lyrics and everything like that. But with Save Rock and Roll, they came back out of completely nowhere. They went with a different sound by just making it nothing but pop songs. Um, and just this fact that Ah, shit, you got me trying to think. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I just think for a band that has an established sound, that has a fan base that really knows what they want and uh, has certain expectations for it, defying all those and coming back with something that no one saw coming and rolling with it to the point that this is now the acceptable sound of them, I think stands true to a testament of uh, what they're really made of more than kind of like, the earlier aspects of the roots of the band yeah no i i can see that um and i i like save rock and roll i don't want anyone to think that i don't um i uh but again fallout boy is another band for me that they haven't put out a bad album i, I could listen to any of them on any day like even folly ado which i feel like people didn't like when it came out uh stood up pretty well it's a really good album um yeah it's really good so yeah and uh me, me standing up for Fall Out Boy is something fun, too, because when this, uh, not even when this came out, but when uh, From Under the Cork Tree came out, I refused to listen to it because my girlfriend at the time was obsessed with them. And uh, not just obsessed, but obnoxiously obsessed. And uh, it made me hate the band to the point I did not even listen to them for the first time until 2008. Oh, nice. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to start from there and work my way backwards and kind of... Uh, I think it was right before Folia Do came out and uh kind of start from there and work my way out. And uh it's just one of those things that for me personally, Take This to Your Grave doesn't have any type of sentimental aspect to it. And just coming from uh someone who's familiar with the band later on in their career, going back to it and hearing from what they sounded like, it just it doesn't seem like something that should be a part of their discography. Yeah. Well that's fair. Well, um, I guess we can wrap it up there. Um, I appreciate you talking about all these albums. That was neat. <laughs> I'll be better prepared next time. <laughs> you better be. No, but seriously, we've uh, you know we've got this website. It's alldead.com. We encourage you to come check it out um, and come join the conversation. We're talking about music. Um, if you don't like what we're saying, feel free to disagree. And that's you know we we just want to build. The idea is you know. Instead of just complaining about the fact that, oh, you know, punk music's dead, rock and roll's dead, whatever, you know, we can just grow old and cynical, or we can just like actually enjoy music and talk about it and share it. Um, And that's what we're all about. So we hope you'll check out the site and uh, keep listening to the podcast. So that's us, and we're signing off. Catch you next time. (laughs) Later. Thanks for listening to the official It's All Dead podcast. You can download our podcast at iTunes and find exclusive music news and content at www.itsalldead.com.